Go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, now as we come to this moment, we open up your word, or we come with the expectation of hearing your voice today. So Lord, let us, let us hear you. Lord, give, give us a vision of your glory through the preaching of your word. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we'll be looking at two verses this morning, 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, as we look at, look at the purpose of the book. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you can grab a pew Bible there and turn to page 853, page 853 in the pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, then we invite you to take that one. Uh, take that pew Bible with you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that as our gift to you. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. If you found your place there, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Holy Word. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word, and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Now, we are all familiar with the terrible twos. It's that time in a child's life when they first begin to kind of build an independence for themselves. And so you start hearing those little words, I can do it myself, right? Uh, but it's also a time that you, they begin to ask that most annoying question, why? Why, Daddy? Why? Why, Mama? Why? And it's not that the question itself is annoying. It's just the, the, the uh, rapid nature of that question over and over. Why do birds fly? Well, because God made them that way. Well, why? Well, because uh, he just wanted them to uh, fly and exalt his glory. Well, why? But why? Well, why? It never ends, right? Uh, but uh, it can be an annoying question at that point in a child's life, but it is a very important question, isn't it? I mean, why is an important question for all of us, and it's a question that we continue to ask throughout our lives. I mean, why is the, the great question of, of, of uh, ingenuity and inquiry uh, that's why what scientists, uh, it, as they begin to look at the world and, and ask that question, why? Why do certain things happen the way they do? It's through that that we, we gain knowledge and understanding of our world. Well, I want you to know it's also an important question to ask of God's Word. As we look at the Bible, uh, God wants us to ask the question, why? Why the Bible? Why has God revealed himself to us through his, this written word? Why has he preserved it for us for thousands of years? So that it may come down to us and, and we have it here today so that we can hear from it and learn from it. Well, today we get that question answered for us. 
in this little two little verses here that we read, John tells us the, the why. He, he gives us the purpose of his book in particular. I mean, he's given us the purpose of the Gospel of John, why he wrote the Gospel of John. But I want us to see also that uh, really this purpose statement here in, God's, in John's Gospel can really be, uh, it's a good purpose statement for the whole book, for all of God's Word. Because Jesus tells us in John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness of me. And so Jesus tells us in his ministry that this book is all about him. It's meant to point us to Jesus. And that's what John tells us here. That's why John wrote this book. And so we're going to look at that today. And we're going to see that the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the book, is to establish faith and life in Jesus Christ. The purpose of the Bible is to establish faith, your faith, and life, your life, in Jesus Christ. And so my prayer today is that the Bible becomes more than just a, a book of, of great stories, more than a, a book of, of good moral lessons, but that it becomes the book upon which you build your faith and your life in Christ. So we see today three reasons for the book. Three reasons for the book. Now, I'll just kind of catch you up here. We're, uh, we've been studying the, the, the narrative of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Last week, we looked at that final little section there where Jesus was engaging his disciples, and he came to his disciples. And, and last week, we saw he came to uh, the disciple Thomas, doubting Thomas. And he, he left Thomas with these words, or he invited Thomas with these words, don't not believe, right? Don't disbelieve, but believe. Put your disbelief and believe. Believe in me. Trust in me. Give yourself to me. And with that, then John transitions into his purpose statement. So as we begin to look at this then, before we get into those three reasons, I want to look at the, uh, look at the book itself. Look at the importance of the witnesses. John says there in, in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. In other words, uh, what we have written in, in the Gospel of John, uh, along with the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, what's written in the Gospels are only a, a small picture, a portion of what Jesus did throughout his lifetime, throughout the, the three years of ministry that he had on earth. In fact, in the last sentence of the book, John says in verse 20, chapter 21, verse 25, Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So Jesus did many wonderful signs and many, many wonders throughout the, the time of his, his earthly ministry through the thir three years that he, he preached he, he did signs, he did uh, miracles. He did a lot of things that were not recorded. But the gospel writers, they record what they record for this purpose, so that we might have faith 
and life in Jesus. And these, you understand, are eyewitnesses. They are eyewitnesses to Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. These are, are men who, who walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus. Not only that, but they're, they're feeding off of other eyewitnesses as well. Luke especially. Luke was a great historian. And so he's, he's gathering up all of these accounts of all of these eyewitnesses that have, have witnessed, who, who saw Jesus, who touched the scars in his arms and his feet and his side. They saw him. They witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, stresses the importance of having multiple witnesses. Now this is talking about a capital offense and, and people going up in court. And he says, and, and the Bible says there, on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. And so Scripture tells us the importance. Of course, that's in the case of a capital crime. But we can take that same principle and apply it to, to anything else. When it comes to the facts of life, right? When, when it comes to uh, believing something that we haven't seen ourselves, it is important to have multiple witnesses who have seen that and they testify to the fact of what they saw. One person might can make something up and they can stick to a lie and they can deceive you. But when you have multiple witnesses who testify to the same thing, well, the case grows stronger and stronger. And so if you have two witnesses, well, that's a pretty strong case. If you have three witnesses, well, that's a stronger case. If you have multiple witnesses, oh, what a strong case. We have here in John's account, here's one author he is writing. Of course, he has all of his brothers with him, but he is writing this testimony. Here's what I saw. Here's what I witnessed in my life with Jesus. All the other gospel writers, they're saying the same thing. Here's what we saw. Here's what we witnessed. Here's what other people have told us that they witnessed in the, during the life of Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 7, tells us that uh, he, he starts listing out all the witnesses. He, Jesus appeared to the apostles, and, and then he appeared to more than 500, more than 500, more than 500 people who witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ walking, talking, teaching eating with them, having fellowship with them, over 500. And Paul there writes, some of them are still alive today. When he wrote that letter to the church in Corinth, he said many of those 500 that, that actually saw Jesus, they're still alive. In other words, go ask them. Go check my story out. I'm writing to you this, and even I have seen him, but you go check my story out. Don't just believe me. Believe the 500. Go ask around. Go, go talk to some of those witnesses. Now, we have preserved for us those same witnesses in God's Word. They're testifying to us that they saw Jesus alive and resurrected from the dead. There's even extra-biblical testimony to the fact of the resurrection 
Jewish historian Josephus, who, who lived from about 37 A.D. to 100 A.D., he, he was writing sometime around the same time that, that John was writing his gospel, actually. And this Jewish historian who was not a Christian, he records, now there, were, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst, amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those who loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again on the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 others wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. And he was writing about 90 A.D., they're not extinct. They're still there. They're still testifying that they saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, this is not a Christian man. But he is testifying to this historical event. And he's saying that there's these witnesses who are still alive, who haven't refuted, who haven't uh, recanted their statement, who have testified, we saw Jesus who was crucified. We saw him raised again. We saw him, we talked with him, we witnessed him. There's this whole consistency of witnesses that, that continues on. All of the witnesses, all of the, out of all the over 500 who saw Jesus and testified to the resurrection, out of all of them, not one ever recanted. Not one ever recanted, and many of them died a martyr's death proclaiming the testimony of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Many of them, all of the apostles minus John, all of the apostles minus John died a martyr's death proclaiming the testimony of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now John, though he wasn't martyred, he died of natural causes, yet he was exiled to the island of Patmos for many, many years. At one time, he was boiled alive. Now they put him in a pot of oil and turned the heat on. Though he suffered, though he did not die a martyr's death, he suffered greatly for the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so out of all of the, the witnesses that saw Jesus and, and testified to Jesus, none of them ever recanted. Now put this into contrast to other religions. Take, for example, uh, uh, Mormonism and the Book of, of Mormon. Joseph Smith records that the Book of Mormon came to him from the angel uh, Moroni. This angel from God came to him, angel Moroni, and he told, it, told Joseph about these gold plates 
And he said, if you'll go to this hill up here, the gold plates are buried in this hill. And so he went and he found the gold plates and he brought them home. And he taught him, the angel taught him how to, to translate these gold plates, supposedly. And so he brought them home with him and he translated these gold plates. And what was produced was what we, what we know to, of today as the Book of Mormon. But now, no one ever saw these gold plates except for Joseph Smith. So he came up with three witnesses, three eyewitnesses who said that they saw the, they witnessed, they saw the golden plates. They were Oliver uh, Cauldry, Martin Harris, and David Whitmore. And so they testified because you need more witnesses, right? You need witnesses to, to, to verify something such as this. And so he had his witnesses, yet all three of those witnesses ended up recanting their story. Not a one of them held on to the story. Uh, one of them totally recanted altogether. The other two came up and said, oh, well, it was more of a spiritual thing. More of a spiritual. We didn't really see the physical place, but it was a spiritual thing. And, and then he came up with eight more witnesses, all who were close relatives of him, but yet still all of them eventually recanted their testimony. Some of them, again, saying, oh, it was a spiritual thing. We just, we spiritually saw them, but no one ever physically saw them. And so you can see now the Book of Mormon, it doesn't have the, the validity because all of the witnesses, all the supposed witnesses, they recanted their story. Not a one of them held on, not a one of them held on to the story, except for Joseph Smith. But now you have 500, over 500 Christians who said, we saw Jesus. They suffered greatly for their testimony of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ, and yet not a one, not a one ever recanted. Many of them going to their death, being crucified, being torn apart by animals, by beasts, all for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Therefore, as we read the Scriptures, as we read the Scriptures, as we see the Gospel story, we can trust its validity. This is true because of the manifold witnesses that we have testifying to the fact of the resurrection, well, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the testimony of John, these things that are written to you, we can have faith in them. We can trust their validity. They are reliable. And so then we see here then the purpose of the book, three reasons for the book. The first reason is this, that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's what he says there, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Christ. Now, what is the Christ? The Christ, of course, is Messiah. Old Testament called him the Messiah, but, but this is the, the anointed one. This is the one that God had foretold to Abraham and to David, the future deliverer and savior, savior of God's people who would come and rescue them from their enemies. It's the one to whom, whom God told Abraham, through your seed, through this one single seed, through this offspring of yours, that I will give to you all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was Jesus. 
He was pointing to Jesus. To David, he said, to your offspring, through, to your singular seed, this one offspring, I will establish his kingdom for all of eternity. That was Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. This is the one who is to come and rule over God's people, deliver them and save them. This is the one that, that we are to trust in. This is God's anointed king. That's who the Christ is. It is God's anointed king. But John says there, you're to believe. This is written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ. Now what does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the one and only Christ? To believe, it means to surrender to Jesus. You see, it's not just about a mental ascent. It's not just about believing some facts. It's not just about believing the fact that Jesus is the Christ of God. Right? You can believe that he's the Christ of God, but never surrender to him, never submit to him. And if you never submit to him, it does you no good. Even the demons believe and tremble they trembled at the feet of Jesus. What have you to do with us, Jesus, the Christ of God? They trembled, but their belief did them no good because they never surrendered to Him. You see, true faith, true belief in Jesus is surrendering to Him. That's why Thomas said, My Lord, my God. You see, it's not just about Jesus being God's king. He must be your king, your Christ. The Old Testament tells us, that, uh, First and Second Samuel tell us about the people of Israel. The people of Israel, they asked for a king. They said to God, God, we want a king like the rest of the nations. We want a king like all the rest of the world. And God said, oh, okay, you want your king? All right, I'll give you a king. And he gave them a king. He gave them King Saul, a, a man after their own heart. He was a man after their own heart. And he didn't live according to God's way. In fact, he, he rejected God on a number of occasions. He said, I know this is God's way, but I want to do it my way. I want to do it the way the people want me to do it. And so he did things man's way, and God rejected him. And when God rejected Saul being king over his people, he went and he anointed for himself a king after his own heart, King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God, and he was devoted to God. And so this is God's king whom he established over his people. But, but yet God didn't just remove Saul all at once. He allowed Saul to continue to rule over the people just like the people wanted him to rule over them. But then finally came the day that God removed him from his, his kingship. He allowed him to be killed in battle. And on that day, David went back. David had been living in exile because Saul had been after him. He, Saul knew he was the anointed of God and he wanted to kill David. And so David had been living in exile, but the day that Saul died, David makes that journey back to Judea, the clan of his, his raising, his own clan. And there in Judea, the Judeans, they recognized 
King David. And they anoint him as king over them. But the rest of Israel, they didn't follow suit. The rest of Israel, instead of following King David, they made Ishbosheth. One of the surviving sons, one of the final sur- sur- surviving sons of Saul, they anointed him, lifted him up as king over them. And so for a couple of years there, the, king, the kingdom of Judah, the tribe of Judah, were at war with the rest of Israel. Because Israel followed Ishbosheth, and Judea followed King David. But finally the time came. When Ishbosheth was murdered, and the rest of Israel came and, and they surrendered to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it records the Israelites surrendering to the kingship of David. And it says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. And said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King David king over Israel. Now it says they made a covenant with David. David made a covenant with all of Israel. What happens when you build a covenant? What happens when you make a covenant with a king? When a people makes a covenant with a king, what the people are saying, or what the king is saying is, I will be your king. I will lead you. I will save you from our enemies. I will deliver you. I will provide for you. And then the people come in and they covenant with the king and say, we will be your people. We will follow your leadership. We will serve you. We will go where you tell us to go. We will do what you tell us to do. You you be our king. We will be your people. And you see, that's what it means when we come to faith in Jesus. It's not just playing, given knowledge, right? It's not just saying, oh yeah, oh he's, he's God's king. It's saying, he's my king. I'm going to covenant with him. I'm going to come under him. I'm going to trust him. Lord Jesus, you be my king. I will be your servant. I trust you. You love me. You died for me. I trust you. You have my best interests in heart, so I will follow you. You lead me. Believing that Jesus is the Christ means surrendering to his lordship over your life. Dear friend, if you've never surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. That's just fact. If you've never surrendered yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. You're still on your throne. You need to get off of your throne, the throne of your life. You need to get off of the throne and you need to put King Jesus on the throne of your life. Surrender to Jesus. 
Give yourself to Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. Believe He is the Christ. So, John tells us the reason for the book is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Second, the second reason for the book is that you may believe Jesus is the Son of God. That you may believe Jesus is the Son of God. Now John opens up the book with that fact. John tells us from the very beginning who Jesus is. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word. Now understand, you don't have time to dig into that Word, but the Word here is Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 14, he goes down and says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth Jesus is the 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 son of God he has divine origins he was in the beginning that's before anything was ever created Jesus was there he was in the beginning he was with God he was with the father he is God Jesus says I and the father are one he was with the father he was and he is God he is the son he is the second person of the trinity Jesus is God and and the scriptures testify to us he says there in that those first few verses of our text today look back over there now other signs Other signs were accomplished in the presence of the disciples. Signs are are miracles that take place. Now these are things that take place that that are beyond what we would think are beyond reason, right? They they are out of of the ordinary. They're they're not things that that happen naturally. They're things that are, are unique. Some of the things that Jesus did in his ministry that are recorded for us to show that he was indeed, is indeed the Son of God. And John chapter 2 records his first miracle that he accomplished. In this first miracle, he turned water. He was at a wedding feast and he turned water into wine. So he told the servants, go fill these vats full of, of water. And Jesus came and he, brought the, he saw the vats and he blessed the vats. And he spoke the words, and the the water changed into wine, just as God at creation said, let there be light. Jesus said, let there be wine, and the vats were full of wine. He, he He changed the molecular structure of that water, and he made it the molecular structure of of wine, just by his words. In in John chapter 9, he heals the blind man who was blind from birth. No one could do that. Jesus said, have sight. 
See. Open your eyes and see. And, and he gave, him, he gave his, him eyes to see. In John chapter 11, he raised the dead. Lazarus, his friend who had been dead for four days, the tomb was beginning to stink because his body was already starting to deteriorate. Jesus came to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Come out. And Lazarus comes walling out in his grave clothes, fully healed. And then, of course, the greatest miracle of all, John chapter 10, Jesus raises himself from the dead, never to die again. And all the witnesses testify that Jesus resurrected from the dead. You know, there's an old saying that says, if it looks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Well, you know, if Jesus looks like God, acts like God, talks like God, does work that only God can do, he's probably God. So John writes to us, so that we might believe that Jesus is God, the Son of God. God who stepped out of heaven, came to this earth, put on this old mortal flesh. He lived among us. He lived in complete obedience to His Father's will. And though He was without sin, He went to Calvary's cross and He died on Calvary's cross for your sins and my sins. Jesus is the Son of God. The evidence of, of Scripture tells us that Jesus is God. So dear friend, let me just tell you today, let me warn you, stop disbelieving and believe. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So the book is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And finally, it is written that you may have life in His name. That you may have life in His name. Now today we are celebrating our graduates. We're honoring our graduates. They are, are finishing up, wrapping up a stage of their life. And they're looking to, to go out and make a life for themselves. Whether it's to, to go to college, to continue their, their learning and, and continue on striving to, to make a life for themselves. And so we, we want to learn to live. We want to live. We want to have life. And that's what Jesus comes to do. He came to give us life in his name. What does John mean here that by believing we may have life in his name? Well, there's a two, two ways in which we, we can understand this. And I think two senses in which John uh, has for us to understand this. First of all, so that we may have new life. That we may have new life in the name of Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that you may have life. That you may have life. And have it abundantly. 
He wants us to have an abundant life. And that's not just future life. He wants us to have abundant life now, here and now in this life. Dear friend, I want you to know without Jesus, you can't have an abundant life. Without Jesus, your life is, is, is bound to sin. You're a slave to, to sin. You're slave to your, your rebellion against God. Therefore, you will always be at odds with God. God will never be before you. He will always be against you if you are outside of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that you can do about that. You can't change yourself. Jeremiah 13 verse 23 says, Can the, leper, or can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard his spots? Then also... You can, you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. In other words, you, dear sinner, you want to try to get your life together? You want to try to restructure your life so that you can get yourself in a place of, of rightness with God? Oh, you can accomplish certain things. Uh, you, you might can quit smoking, quit drinking, quit cussing. You, you might can do these different self-improvements on yourself, right? You, you can do certain things, but you'll never make yourself right with God. You'll always be a rebel. Just like the Ethiopian can never, he can't change his skin. The leopard can't change his spots. You can't change who you are. You're a sinner. You're a rebel. You were born that way. And you can never change that. But I want you to know God can. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. He came to transform your life. To give you a new life. An abundant life in his name. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9-11, through 11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindler, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God notice what he says you were that's a passive verb it's not an active verb it's a passive verb this was something done to you you were you were washed Someone else washed you. God washed you. You were sanctified. Someone else sanctified you. God sanctified you. You were justified. You were made right before God. And you didn't do it, but He did it. In the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Dear friend, you may try self-improvement. And you may do some great things and some people will pat you on the back. Oh, good job, good job. You'll never be right with God. 
until you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He came to give you life that you may have life more abundantly. Receive the new life in Jesus by trusting in Him. You know, the Christian life is kind of like a caterpillar. Caterpillar is born and, and, and it's a worm. Rolling around on the ground, dredging through the mud and the muck of the world. And then one day it climbs up on a tree. And God, through helping him, he builds that cocoon around himself. And while he's in that cocoon, he transforms. He becomes something new. And he bursts out of that cocoon, and now he's a butterfly, no longer wandering around in the mud and the muck of the world. He is soaring high above the earth, giving glory to God. And that's the way it is with the Christian. You are born a worm, treasuring around in the mud and the muck of this world. So God came and transformed you. He took you out of the mud and the muck and He transformed you and made you soar high above the mud and the muck, giving glory to His name. Christian is one who has been transformed by the power of God because they trusted in Jesus. Dear friend, are you a caterpillar or are you a butterfly? Are you still wallowing around in the mud and the muck? You can soar high above the world. You can give glory to God by trusting in Jesus. Jesus came to give us, give us new life, and last of all, He came to give us eternal life. He came to give us eternal life. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him, believes in Jesus, shall not perish but have everlasting life. A life that doesn't end with this world. A life that extends to all of eternity in God's kingdom. Just like that verse that we read from Revelation chapter 21 at the beginning, to live in His eternal kingdom where God will be in our presence. And we will worship him face to face. Jesus came so that you may believe in him and have life abundantly here and now and eternal life in his kingdom. Faith in Jesus leads to new eternal life. So I beg you, dear friend, if you have not trusted in Jesus, give your life to him. Surrender to him today. Oh, dear friend, let us relish the book. Let us relish this book. It's such a valuable, wonderful book that is here to give us life in Jesus so that we might trust in Him that He is our Christ, our Lord, our God, and we might have life in Him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul at the end of his life writes his disciple, and he ends his letter because Timothy is supposed to be coming to him. He says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books, and above all, 
above all, the parchments. Now the parchments was, that was his Bible. And that was the pieces of, of Scripture that he had accumulated over his life. And he had left them at this place. And he says, Timothy, bring the book. Bring the Bible. I want to read God's Word. Even at the end of his life, though he had written Scripture himself, he said, bring the book. I relish the book. I long to read the book. Oh, Christian, do you long to read the book? Is it valuable to you? Relish the book. Love the book. Live in the book. The purpose of this book is to establish your faith and your life in Jesus Christ. Oh, love the book. Believe the book. Believe in Jesus. Relish more than the book, the Jesus, the Christ, to whom the book points us to. Believe in Him. Surrender to Him. Live for Him. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the book. Thank You for Your Word that You have preserved for us so that through Your Word we can know Jesus. We can trust in Jesus. We can learn how to live a, an abundant life in Jesus. Oh, Lord, today, if there's any who come and they don't know you, they've never surrendered your life to them, Lord, I pray today, today the rebellion would be over and, Lord, they would surrender to you. They would covenant with you to follow your leadership, your loving guidance in their lives. And Lord, that you would give them life in your name. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.